Our scripture reading this morning is uh, two passages, the first in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7, and that's on page 671 of your pew Bibles, and then we'll uh, skip forward to Romans chapter 4. Isaiah 9, verse 1. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who were in distress. In the past, he humbled the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, but in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Every warrior's boot used in battle and every garment rolled in blood will be destined for burning, will be fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And turn with me to Romans chapter 4, verse 13. That's at page 1093. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world, but through righteousness that comes by faith. At verse 23. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts 
through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have not left us in ignorance and darkness, that you've provided your word. We thank you for the words given to the prophet Isaiah of a light coming in the darkness, of a child being born on whose shoulders will be the government and who will be called Mighty Counselor, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. And we thank you, Lord, for that child who came on Christmas, that first great miracle of God becoming man and dwelling with us. Thank you, Lord. We pray for Pastor Mark now. We thank you for his service, his efforts this week to um, hear what you would have him share with us. We just pray that you will uh, give him strength and wisdom and clarity as he comes now and that you will give us um, ears to hear and um, hearts and minds to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Kate. I'd like to invite you to turn with me to the book of Isaiah, if you aren't still there. And when you get there, I'd like to have you put a marker there, because we'll come back to it in a bit. I'm actually going to address the text in the reverse order from what, we, what, what Kate just read. Uh, so let's go from Isaiah chapter 9 to then Romans chapter 4 and 5. So when you get a marker there for Isaiah chapter 9, then turn with me to Romans chapter 4. Among the most difficult aspects of biblical Christian faith for an unbelieving world to accept or even to tolerate are its exclusive claims. Exclusive claims to absolute authoritative revealed truth. Exclusive claims to a real and personal relationship with the one true and living God through faith in Jesus Christ. And exclusive claims to a true, indeed the only, pathway to peace with God and salvation or eternal life. Now, I want us to take note that I said aspects of biblical Christian faith, because biblical Christian faith is the only faith that leads us to the one who can save us. Other paths, all other paths, lead us further and further away from him. However, biblical Christian faith is the one and only true faith found in the Bible, or perhaps we could put it more accurately, culminating in the New Testament. And to be clear, right from the beginning of our time in God's word this morning, when we talk about biblical Christian faith, we are not talking about faith in our faith, as many double-tongued preachers do. If you have just enough faith, God will make you healthy, wealthy, and successful. No, we're talking about faith in the God who raises the dead. That's biblical Christian faith. In this sense, it is not our faith that saves us. It may look like that. We may talk like that. There might even be a Bible verse or 10 that says something like that. But when we take the whole of Scripture into consideration, 
That's not really what's, what's happening. Taking a whole God at his whole word in the whole Bible, Scripture interpreting Scripture, it's not our faith, but God who saves us by his grace alone, by faith alone, in Jesus Christ alone. This is why I'm not even saying these days by our faith alone, because it's God, and God gives us that faith. So really, it's all God's work, and we respond to him as he works for our good. Yes, God saves us in response to our faith in Jesus Christ. That's true. But if we dig a bit deeper, we learn that apart from God's resurrection power, we are all dead in our trespasses and sins. And I probably don't need to tell you that dead people don't do anything. They can't do anything. They're dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. So even if we don't quite understand how it all works, and I don't for sure, we can still understand what the Holy Spirit through Paul the Apostle was saying and is saying to Christians and churches today as well. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world, but God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. So I want you to get that. You'll see that, but God and made us alive together with Christ are, are, are in, in red. And that's, that's the actual sentence. It's, it's split in the middle by some some enhancing uh, words. But the point here is, in verse 4, but God made us alive together with Christ. We were dead in our trespasses and sins, but God made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Among the many things that Ephesians 2 speaks about, one is that we cannot and we could not believe except that God himself first gives us the grace gift of saving faith. First to believe in Jesus Christ whom he has sent and also to give us new life, even eternal life as a result. And better than most, this particular truth, or, or, or rather our understanding, our acceptance of, and our believing it, is wholly contingent on our submission by faith to the truth of the Bible as God's word written to us, to the church, indeed to the whole world. Because all matters of a credible and creditable faith come down to our relation to the Bible, both as individuals and as a congregation. Do we believe it? rightly and plainly interpreted? Have we repented of and accepted the forgiveness of our sins by faith in Jesus Christ? And are we experiencing the eternal life in him? Are we living out the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, in our place and time? 
Is our faith and our hope, both for this life and for the next, placed solely in the one sent by the one true and living God to be Messiah, who is the one anointed by God, anticipated and promised in the Old Testament to save his people, and Christ revealed and provided in the New Testament, namely, Jesus Christ. Okay, so now I I think we're ready for the central truth of our message for this morning. Here it is. It's also in your bulletin. The one on the screen there is just slightly, slightly adjusted. Jesus Christ is the one and only way, the embodied word, the eternal life, No one comes to the Father but through him. Now you may be thinking, isn't that an enhanced version of Jesus' own testimony about himself from that famous John 14, 6 text? And you you would be right about that. But it's the enhancements that I want to draw our attention to this morning. Let's look at it. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way. Now, in addition to being a stunning statement about his being the way to God the Father. We'll get to that in just a moment. He's also saying, I am that I am. And every Jewish person listening to that would know that he's claiming to be God because God is the great I am. And there are a number of statements, depending on how you count them, between seven and 11 statements in the Gospel of John where Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. I am the water of life. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. So Jesus says, I am the way. And here I've enhanced it just a bit to say, Jesus is the one and only way, which I take from the second half of the verse. No one comes to the Father but through me. So if no one comes to the Father except or but through Jesus... Well, then, by definition and without question, Jesus Christ is the one and only way. He's not giving us an option for any other way. Either he is the way, the one and only way, or he's not. Then in John 14, 6, Jesus also said, I am the truth. And here I've enhanced it just a bit to say Jesus Christ is the embodied word. This is a little less obvious, but only a little. I've incorporated into Jesus' statement about himself the famous beginning of John's gospel. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. It gets even better. Verse 3. All things were made through him... Who is he? Who is him? The Word. And without him was not one thing made that was made. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the Word became flesh and tabernacled among us. A big part of understanding God's word is understanding that God's word incorporates all truth everywhere about everything. Indeed, it was by his word that God spoke all that exists into existence. In the end, God's word, God's truth is somehow embodied in a person. 
Jesus Christ is God's truth in a person. He is the word made flesh. Finally, in John 14, 6, Jesus also said, I am the life. Which is to say that there is no life, no true life apart from him. There is apparent life apart from him. But there is no true life apart from him. If Jesus is life incarnate, and he is, then it's only through him that we can ever hope to find life, real life, life as God intended, and life as God intended, rather, and life everlasting. What we see hinted at in John 14, 6, John makes much more explicit in his first letter, chapter 1, verses 2, 1, 2, and 3, uh, also 4, here, where we read these words. That which was from the beginning, speaking of the word. So he's making a direct recollection back to um, John chapter 1, the gospel that he wrote. That which was from the beginning, the word. Which we have heard, the word. Which we have seen with our eyes, the word. Which we have looked upon and touched with our hands, the word. Concerning the word of life. The life, speaking of Jesus, Jesus is referred to here as the word of life. The life was made manifest and we have seen it, or we could translate that as him and testify to it. We could also translate that as him and proclaim to you, here's Jesus again, the eternal life. Here, Jesus is the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. That which we have seen and heard, again, the word, we proclaim also to you so that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So my title this morning is pretty much a secondary or summary central truth, which is peace with God now and forevermore. And If we wanted to expand it into a full sentence, we might say Jesus Christ is the one and the only pathway to peace with God. Now, before we go any further, let's let's just take a moment to pray. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this, your word. Thank you for your Holy Spirit that brings your written word alive in us and through us. And among us, I pray, Lord, that as we hear your word, as we process your word, that we will be believing and not unbelieving. That we will be believing rightly and not wrongly. That the teaching that comes out of this place is clean and clear. That it's of you, the one true and living God. And of Jesus Christ, the one whom you sent as Messiah and Christ. And we know, not only because we sing of it these days, but we know from your word that you are a great and good God. You are great largely because you are good. There are other aspects, but largely because you are good. And you are good in your greatness. We are so glad that you are a good and great God. Where would we be if you were not good or great? We thank you for what you have done in our, um, in our midst 
through the person of Jesus Christ. I pray, Lord, that if there be anyone here who is hearing for the first time your gospel, that Jesus Christ came, that we might live. He died to save us. He was raised that we might be made right with you. I pray, Lord, that today would be the day of his or her salvation. Be with us now as we continue on, Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I felt the need to do that um, because I've been up since 2.30 in the morning today. And that wasn't a plan. That was just what happened. And uh, I laid in bed for about an hour. And at 3.30, I finally said, this isn't doing anybody any good. So I got up. Good news is I had uh, my <laughs> I had my PowerPoint to Dan at like 5:30 this morning, and uh, so there was some benefit, I guess. But uh, but continue to pray with me and be with me here because I'm um, I've been up a while, for a while. So uh, I, I shared with you a bit ago that we're going to go in reverse order from what Kate read the scripture earlier, uh, and so I'd, I'd like for you to. Uh, find your place there back at Romans 5. And truth be told, the exclusive claims of the biblical Christian faith also present us with difficulties, especially when we must explain ourselves to others, whether friends or family or foe, and how we can dare to believe and give expression to such arrogance that we know the one way to God And it's either that way or death, that way or hell, that way or eternal estrangement from God. That Jesus Christ and only Jesus Christ as presented in the Christian scriptures is the one and only way to peace with God sounds ludicrous at best, arrogant at worst, even to our own selves in our most vulnerable, least confident and questioning moments. As we've noted, the exclusive claims of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and to be sure the gospel is exclusive if we're being thoroughly biblical and truly Christian about it, these exclusive claims sound and they truly are offensive, unacceptable, and even intolerable to self-described tolerant people who pride themselves on their tolerance, even for the intolerable. But if Jesus was telling the truth, And how could he not, him being the very embodiment of truth incarnate? And if Paul, by the Holy Spirit, was telling the truth in our text from Romans 4 and 5 this morning, then telling people, in-laws, outlaws, friends, foes, Lottie Dottie, and everybody, as we used to say in the army, then giving expression to this truth is the most loving thing we could ever do. I was reminded as I prepared this week that uh, an interview that I saw with Gillette Teller some, some years ago, uh, he's the speaking one of the famous comedian-magician duo Penn and Teller. He was once asked, maybe more than once, but I heard him being asked once, about the exclusive claims of the Christian gospel, namely salvation by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and in Jesus Christ alone. He said he didn't believe a word of it. Which is not all that surprising. This is the surprising part. He said, but if I did, 
I'd have to tell everybody about it. Because if it's true, there are a whole lot of people going to hell. And I'd have to warn them about that. And to not do so, to keep that sort of information to myself, would be the height of arrogance and evil. How about that? Look with me now to the great book of Romans chapter 5. The first thing I want us to process here together as we look at the book of Romans is Jesus Christ is our peace with God now and forevermore. Jesus Christ is our peace with God now and forevermore. And so this, this means that peace isn't primarily a condition or a state of being. Peace is a person. Just like Jesus is the life, is the way, is the truth, he is also peace. And we've got there that, that first word there is, is translated variously, therefore, nonetheless. Um, and what that means is that uh, what he's about to say is dependent upon something he just said. So that's why I have verses 13 and then from verse 23. I'm probably going to go up to verse 20 uh, here uh, because Paul is making an argument here that from Abraham on down to, to the, the church in Rome that Paul is writing to now and to the church in, Bethes- in Winnipeg, namely Bethesda, that this has been a long line or lineage of faith that is counted to God's people as righteousness. And so in verse 13, it's just one, one verse that I want us to, to kind of hang our hats on. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So, so Abraham believed God obeyed his word, and we find in uh, Hebrews chapter 11 that it was credited to him, to him, his faith was credited to him as righteousness. So now if we jump over to verse 20, he continues the argument concerning Abraham, but he's about to turn it into uh, truth for us uh, who are now following Jesus Christ as promised Messiah and provided Christ, and we are now following him in the same line of faith as Abraham and all his descendants. Verse 20, no unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God. This is, he is Abraham, him is Abraham, but he grew in his, strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised the dead Jesus, our Lord, or raised from the dead Jesus, our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So two things are going on in the, in the death of Christ and the resurrection of Christ. One, he's given himself that we might be forgiven of our sins. He calls it trespasses here, um, delivered up for our trespasses. And he was raised for our justification. And justification means being made right. It's a legal term that if we are justified, we are, we are declared right. We are judged to be right 
or righteous in this sense. And because of what Jesus did on the cross, giving himself up for, for the forgiveness of our sins, and in the, 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 the validating resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we are made right with God. And we accept that by faith. It's the only pathway to it. We can't earn it. We, we can't go find it somewhere. We can't buy it. It is by faith alone, this justification before God. And so he, Paul is in the spirit making this argument about faith being counted to Abraham as righteousness. Now, it's, now, now faith is counted to us as righteousness. And we find that the righteousness that is applied to our account is the righteousness of Christ. That he and only he had offered himself up as the satisfactory sacrifice and substitute for our sins. Indeed, the sins of the whole world, according to 1 John 2 and verse 2. Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you notice the language there? The language there is, it's been accomplished. This peace has arrived. This peace has been given. This peace has been distributed. This peace is a person. And therefore, every, every, every other person related to this person who is peace has peace with God. And that is one of the huge benefits of our being made right with God, we are at peace with him, which is the first level, which is the first level of this peace. There are many levels of, of peace that we could talk about. We could talk about personal peace. We could talk about uh, inter, interpersonal peace. We could talk about peace between nations. We, but the thing we really need to get hold of is peace with God. And the only way, the only way we can be at peace with God is through Jesus Christ, what he did on our behalf at the cross and in the power of God and the resurrection is now available to us to be also made, with right, made right with God because Jesus gave himself up for us. Are you at peace with God? It's an important question. Because that peace is the basis for all other pieces. There will not be peace in the Middle East apart from peace with God. Sorry. So is at the University of Pennsylvania. Taking an international relations course with a lifelong or, or career, is a better way of putting it, a foreign service officer, David Long was his name. Uh, our assignment, our final assignment was to write a five-page paper, no, no more, five-page paper that solved the conflict in the Middle East. So I went to him after thinking about this for a while, and I wasn't yet a Christian, but I, but I knew enough about the Bible. I'd been in church for most of my life, even at that point. And I, I asked if I could talk to him about the paper. He said, sure. Talk while I'm walking, because I've got another class, so I'm, just come with me. So we did, and I said, well, here's, here's my thing. I don't believe there will be peace in the Middle East. Can I say that? 
He said, sure, you can write that paper. That'll be fine. I'll fail you, but you could write it. Friends, there will not be peace in the Middle East apart from peace with God. It ain't happening. Now, the killing of hundreds of people, thousands of people, may come to an end for a while. But we need to pray that those people, all people, will come to a position of peace with God. And what that means is they need Jesus. Jesus is our peace. Now, that's on the world stage, right? So that's, that's, that's peace, peace among nations and people groups and all of that. But that's a little bit above our pay grade, a little bit above our uh, purview. So let's talk about us. Are we at peace with each other? Remember what I said? That peace with God is the basis for all other pieces? If we're not at peace with each other, we know that there's something wrong with our peace with God. One or the other, and usually it's both. Are we at peace with each other? Do we, do we have to do something to be at peace with our family members, with our friends, perhaps, that we've lost along the way for some reason? These are important questions. Peace with God, interpersonal peace with each other. Are we at peace with ourselves? Do we understand that Jesus said on the cross as he was giving himself up for us, us, it is finished? Or are we carrying around stuff, right? Like a, a, a weighted down backpack. We're carrying all of the regrets and the sins that we have committed and we haven't let go of them. Are we at peace with ourselves? Jesus died that you might be, that I might be, that we might be at peace, total peace. And I want you to notice the language here, it's, it's in the perfect tense. And what that means is that the action required is finished, but the benefits or the consequences are ongoing. It's done, and it continues on to benefit. It continues on to help. It continues on uh, in consequence to make people at peace. So, so peace has been declared, peace has been, I can say it this way, earned by Jesus but it has continuing consequences. It's continuing to make its way out further and further to more peace among people. Look there with me again, verse 1. Therefore, because of what came before that we just talked about, we are justified um, by the resurrection of Jesus. Since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God. It It is in our possession through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, so Jesus Christ is our peace with God, now and forevermore. i got to keep moving. Secondly, having the peace of Jesus Christ means we have him. And in and through him, we have God's grace. And we have hope, both in this life and for the next. Yeah, all of that in verse 2. Verse 2. Through him, that is through our Lord Jesus Christ... We have also obtained, notice again, perfect tense, accomplished, received, ongoing consequence, ongoing benefit, ongoing value. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith to what? Into his grace. Hmm. 
Wow. Into this grace in which we stand. We currently stand by faith into this grace that God has given us through Jesus Christ our Lord. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So this is both past tense. It's done. It's present tense. I have it. And it's future tense. I'll have it forever. Our hope of the glory of God. How is, how is your hope? Is it based on your... We'll, we'll get to this in a minute, but, but just for now, let me ask the question. Is it based on your circumstances? Hope that is based on circumstances is bound to fail you. It just will. We all get disappointed. We all disappoint ourselves and others. We all make wrong decisions. If our hope is based on circumstance, it will fail us. It will flee from us. And we'll be left alone. But here, verse 2, based upon what Jesus has done, right? So this is Jesus' death and resurrection. That's what we just read in verse 25 of chapter 4. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. That's worth spending some more time on, but I don't have it. Number three. Do we believe this? Faith and hope in Jesus Christ conforms us into his image, his character, through a lifetime of sacrificial living that transcends our circumstances. Now, somebody's probably going to, somebody who's keen um, theologically and biblically, we'll probably say, well, wait a minute, I thought it was the Holy Spirit that conforms us to the image of Christ. Yes, yes, that's true. Uh, also God's word. And we allow him to do his work in us by faith, just the same faith that we were saved, by, saved with. We are also expressing that faith and hope in Christ to conform us into his own image, his character, through a lifetime of sacrificial living that transcends our circumstances. Let's look at it in, in the text, number, verse 3. Not only that, okay. <laughs> therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. How about that? I just got to tell you, I don't rejoice in my sufferings. I should. It says, it says we do. Really? Paul, are you speaking for the Romans too? Or are you just speaking for yourself in the royal we kind of sense? Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. I have to admit that that's true. And endurance produces character. And character produces hope. We have to understand that we are all 
fallen and frail human beings. And this life is hard. Jesus said, Neil likes to quote, In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Those are hopeful words. Here are some more hopeful words. 30 years ago, I was on my way, more than 30 years, 33 years ago, 32, 33, 32 years ago, I was on my way from the seminary to my workplace. I worked at the family bookstore in Kenner, Louisiana, which is about 30 miles away from uh, the seminary campus. And so uh, often when I would go to work, I would get there, I think, at 3 or 3.30, one of the two, and focus on the family would be on the Christian radio. So I'd hear James Dobson for about 30 minutes, 25 to 30 minutes, from the seminary to the bookstore on a regular basis. One afternoon, I'm driving. I don't remember that I was in a particularly vulnerable spot or anything, but, but this, was a, this is a very vivid memory. His topic for the day was suffering. He was talking to somebody, I don't know who, about suffering. It may, be, it may have been Joni Erickson, I'm not sure. Um, but he was talking to somebody about suffering, and then he said something that I have obviously never forgotten, and that stuck with me, and I've shared with other people many, 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 many times who needed to hear a, a hopeful, encouraging word, and now I'm applying it to myself all the time. We Christians, he said, ought not to expect to be delivered from anything in this life, in this world. We share the same humanity as every other person who came before us, who exists around us, and who will come after us. And as human beings with physical frailty, short cycle of life, we ought not to be delivered from anything, but Christians ought to expect to be delivered through all of these circumstances until we get to glory. Never forgotten it. One of the most hopeful, encouraging words I ever heard in my life. And I never knew how much I would need it these days. Faith and hope in Jesus Christ conforms. That word is wrong. It should be conform. There's a double subject there, isn't there? Sorry, Kate. Faith and hope in Jesus Christ conform us into his image, his character, through a lifetime of sacrificial living that transcends our circumstances. Finally, number four and number last, all God's gifts of grace. All of them. All God's gifts of grace, from salvation by faith in Jesus Christ to perseverance through all of life's circumstances, are expressions of God's love for us, and they come through and from the Holy Spirit, whom God has given us, also by his grace. Verse 5, my, one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible, as you know by now. And hope does not put us to shame or does not disappoint us in some translations. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through or by the Holy Spirit. Whom he has given us or who has been given to us. So the Holy Spirit that God gives us on behalf of Christ through our faith, that same Holy Spirit works these things out in our lives and in our ministries. Conforming us to Christ, expressions of God's love for us, actually giving us God's love for others, and sealing us until the day of redemption. 
We cannot be lost once we've been found. I don't know about you, but this is good news. Peace with God. Jesus is our peace with God now and forevermore. Let's pray together. God, our Father, we thank you for this encouraging word. We thank you for this promise and this proclamation that Jesus is our peace. And he has never failed us. He will never fail us. Indeed, he cannot fail us. And we are so thankful. Remind us of this, Lord. Especially in moments when we're low, when we're disappointed either with ourselves or with others, when we're in conflict, interpersonal or otherwise. Help us, Lord, to know that our peace has already been secured, that we have peace with God right now and forevermore. In Jesus' name. Amen. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Lord, thank you for this peace that we have with you this reconciliation between us and God by the one mediator, Jesus Christ. We offer ourselves uh, as um, sacrifices to you, and we ask the Lord that you would continue to make us into your true people. In Jesus' name, amen. See you next time.